This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 148 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Draper Therapies. Welcome to the program coming to you as usual from Lexington, Kentucky, where the grass is greening here in the bluegrass. It really is springtime here. I hope the grass is growing where you are. The horses are shedding their coats and it certainly is beautifully warm now, as I'm sure you're all getting ready to start competing outdoors this season and uh, putting those indoor arenas behind us and the struggles of winter. I hope that you've overcome them and are ready for the new season. Horses are getting fit and uh, you're getting as enthusiastic as ever. We're talking about enthusiasm. On next week's show, we're going to start actually a brand new segment of the Century Club, which is something the Dressage Foundation here in the States has started for riders whose combined age with their horse is over 100. And we're going to bring you the first guest in that new series on next week's show. But on this week's episode, we're going to profile a couple from Great Britain, Rebecca and Gareth Hughes. They are a dressage couple, both competing, both running a business there in the middle of England. And uh, I know they're a very popular couple over there. So we're going to bring you an inside look on on that successful partnership of Rebecca and Gareth Hughes in just a moment. But before we get to that, we're going to take a short commercial interlude. is a dressage rider who's currently down in Wellington although she's based in Maine and and has been a user of Draper Equine Therapist products for some years haven't you Laura? Yeah I've been with Draper for four or five years now. Now which products do you tend to favor which do you use most frequently? I use their saddle pads every day um, on every every one of my personal horses. Um, I have also some of their Blankets that are great, um, their anti-sweatsheet, um, as well as some of their products for the legs, like their polar wraps and their standing bandages. And how, how many horses do you have that you use them on? Uh, I use them consistently on two horses every day. Right, and you like the durability, obviously, that, that they do last a long time. How long do you think yeah. uh, they, they typically last for you? Um, that's one of the greatest things I think about Draper is the the quality of the product um some you know they're more expensive perhaps than, than other products of the same you know usage however they hold up so unbelievably well i've had some style pads for literally four or five years that look brand new and you, you know i've washed them two or three times a week and they still they just look you know brand new and really really good quality tell us about the other products that you use laura um, I like the, the blankets a lot. They come in a, a variety of different weights. Um, and, you know, they have stable sheets as well as anti-sweat sheets and turnout sheets and turnout blankets. Um, and the same thing. They The quality is just so high. Um, they last and you can wash them however many times you want. You can clean and they really are just a very, very well-made product. 
And you would recommend them to anyone, obviously, in the dressage world then for, uh, the, for the quality and durability of the products. And that's uh, Draper, yeah. Draper Therapies. And they do so many different products there. You can find them all on the website at drapertherapies.com. Laura, thank you very much for joining us this week. And good luck with your dressage down there in Florida. Great. Thank you so much. Well, joining me now from England is Gareth and Rebecca Hughes. Uh, first of all, Gareth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know that we've got uh, Rebecca with us. You're going to have to be handing the phone back and forth to Rebecca so we can include her in the, in the conversation too. So uh, why don't we say hello to Rebecca as well? Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, now we've got you, I think we'll get a little bit of uh, your story first before we talk to Gareth, because uh, first of all, let's explain exactly where you're located in England. Um, we have um, a yard in Warwickshire, which is just off the M40, a couple of miles of there, and we have just um, moved there a couple of months ago. We've just moved into our own property um, just a couple of months ago, so it's all a little bit new at the moment. Um, previously to that, we were living on a property of um, one of Gareth's sponsors. So, um, but we've been in a position where we've been able to, to get our own place and, and just move there, like I said, a couple of, couple of months ago. Well, so you're freshly moved in. Now, now where is the village that you're near then? Um, it's Bishop Sitchington, um, which is near Leamington Spa. Right. Okay. So you moved from Oxfordshire. That's I think yes. you were in Oxfordshire before, weren't you? Right. Yes, that's right. So you're just up the road in Warwickshire. Yes. Yes. Probably about half an hour away. We, we you know, it's not too far from where we lived before, so we're fairly, um, you know, we know the area fairly well. Now, where are you from originally, Rebecca? Oh gosh, um, I'm from North Yorkshire. I was born in North Yorkshire. And oh, well, then we'll I... forgive you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was actually six months old, um, I moved over to Belgium because of my father's work and lived there um, until I was 13. So I was actually brought up French-speaking and li um, lived near Brussels and then came back when I was 13 years old back to Yorkshire um, and then moved down south sort of after schooling. Um, you know, then really started the horses then. Right. Well, you, certainly there is no hint of a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> or a French one. Or a French have, one. This is true. I would have quite liked to have kept the French accent, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know uh, it's, it's very classy to have a French accent, but uh, it's nice that you, you're bilingual too, I'm sure, with the international travel that you do now with you and your husband uh, globetrotting around, uh, around Europe with the horses. Yeah, so it's quite nice to um, to sort of go travelling, and also it's it's a nice break, you know, from your everyday um, sort of teaching and riding and so on. So it's quite nice to get a few shows abroad. Now, what's your background then, Rebecca, in dressage? You you didn't marry into it, did you? You had you have a, a background in horses before you met your husband. Yes, absolutely. I um, I've got, I run a separate yard actually to Gareth, which is in Buckinghamshire called Classic Dressage. Um, it's got a, a fairly successful um, um, dressage clothing and retail shop on there. And um, I was running that, gosh, for about, gosh, eight years before I met Gareth. And um, so yeah, that was my business, was really, you know, riding and competing and teaching and so on before I met Gareth anyway. Um, and, it, you know, it was quite... It's funny how things worked out, actually, because I had um, one of Gareth's top horses, Sandman. I bought him as a three-year-old, 
and was riding him myself and campaigning in young horse classes, but he really was far too big for me. And um, sort of when we met, he sort of took over the reins and then it, it flourished into, you know, obviously a very successful partnership, which is nice. Well, yes, obviously it didn't do your relationship any harm, did it? <laughs> well, I think, I think he is a little bit too big and it's quite handy that Gareth is six foot four, so <laughs> <laughs> he can have the big ones, really. So, um, so no, we, you know, we both ride and um, both compete and so on, so very much do the same sort of thing. Right. Now, has it always been dressage for you then, Rebecca, or since you were a little girl, or did you try other things first? Um, I tried a little bit of eventing and hunting and so on, but um, I used to start off quite well in the dressage and then it went downhill from there when I tried jumping. So I thought it was probably best to specialise. And um, when I was, um, what really turned me really was when I was um, 17, I won a competition called Talent Spotting Competition. And um, I think once I sort of won that, that national title, I decided to, um, you know, to stick to that really. It's pointless having to go at the other things, which, um, which I couldn't do quite so well. Right, and now, of course, you have a young family, have a daughter. Yes, yes, she's uh, she's four years old. She's called Ruby. Yeah, and uh, have you got her in the tack yet, or does she think um, she's going to be no, following not, in your footsteps? No, I think Gareth and I sort of feel that she should be begging to, to be riding, like, you know, we've, <laughs> we've had dinner a young girl, and she's very, very keen. And, um, you know, I think, you know, to be honest, you know, riding and horses and so on, it is a luxury, is um, I think it's probably worth waiting until she's a little bit older and understands the value of that, rather than just being handed on a on a plate. To be honest, That's so right. uh, hopefully that'll make a keener because usually as kids you always want what you can't have. There so. you go. That's reverse psychology, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to find out a little bit more about your husband Gareth Hughes okay. now. You were actually born in England, although with your name, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you told me you were born uh, in Wales somewhere. No, not actually. I mean, actually, I was born um, probably about less than half an hour away from where Rebecca was born, up in Yorkshire. Really? So you, you lost your accent when you went over to Australia, did you? Was that yeah, that's right. He was uh, six, and um, my uh, dad, through work, got a transfer to Australia, so we, uh, as a family, moved out there and um, grew up in Oz and lived out there until my early 20s. Right. So, uh, so yeah, my upbringing was very, very different being out there. Yes. Now, tell us a little bit about that story about going off to Australia. First of all, let me, being born in Yorkshire, then you are eligible to play cricket for Yorkshire. Would that be a, a second career? <laughs> um, well, two things that stop me. One, I'm probably a bit old for that now, and two is I'm not very good at it. So, uh, <laughs> but yes, I, I suppose in another world, another time, yeah, possibly I could. <laughs> Well, as I say, uh, Dad, um, Dad got a, a transfer, with, transfer with work out there, and I think, I, offhand, I think it was initially just for a couple of years. Anyway, we, we ended up spending, um, my parents spent about 16 years out there, and I spent about 18 years out there. So uh, very much sort of grew up out there, and, um, you know, Australia is sort of very similar to, to America and, and, and Canada and things in many ways. It's, it's a large country. It's a very open country. Uh, a lot of outdoor activities. We were very lucky. We sort of grew up on a, you know, had there a few acres, sort of eight, nine acres, so on a little bit of land. And like you do, you get a pony. Um, and actually, the, <clears throat> the there was a guy that just moved into the, the local area, um, a guy called Trevor Bonney, and he was uh, an, an all-round performance trainer. He did a lot of um, in-hand work, western, 
showing uh, English work, uh, harness, you sort of name it, he did it. A lot of um, backing of uh, young horses, both mainly in the breed, sort of quarter horses, Aki's, Arabs, things like that. And so basically that's what I started off doing. Um, and I did that sort of into my teenage years and um, sort of the, I sort of got into dressage actually sort of more later on in life. Now, do you have any siblings that were interested as well then, Gareth? Um, I've got four sisters, and being in that sort of situation, we all, we all sort of learned to ride, but um, I was the only one that really took it any further. Um, they all sort of, uh, they did a little bit into their early teenage years, I think, and then other interests sort of took hold of them. And um, But no, I sort of just sort of kept going with it, and um, whether it's because it's the only thing I can do or not, but that kept me in the horses. The rate that you must have been growing since you're six foot four, you must have outgrown your ponies pretty rapidly, did you? Well, I actually, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really sort of do much on ponies. I actually, right up through into my early 20s, um, mainly showed um, in Arabian boot classes. So I did an awful lot with them. Um, and I did a little bit of dressage through my teenage years, um, which actually, again, the interest came through through the, the the big Arabian competitions over there because they have a full performance program, you know, with the with the dressage up to a fairly decent level, um, plus all the English, Western trail classes, costume classes, sports classes, and things like that. So my uh, my interest was mainly in the breeze, um, and uh, so I, I I sort of did them. So yeah, looking back on it, I probably looked a bit funny riding down on the fifteen handers. You moved back to the the north of England, didn't you? Did yeah. you go back to Yorkshire then, when when you left Australia? No, what what, what happened? My, my parents moved back first, and they moved back down to actually where not far from where they lived when they initially moved out to Australia in uh, an area called Cheshire, which is mm-hmm. um, just west of Manchester. And um, so I. A couple of years after that, I was stuck in a little bit of a rut, and I thought, well, you know, it'd be interesting to see a little bit of Europe before I sort of settled down um, in Australia. So my plan initially was only actually to come over for a couple of years, um, and that was about 16, 17 years ago. Right. Where were you actually based in Australia, Gareth? We were, I was in Brisbane, just south of Brisbane. Oh. I grew up in a place called Jimboomba. Okay, that's a memorable name. That's a, that's a good Aussie name, that one, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, you didn't pick up the accent, so I, th- I think uh, that's commendable that you didn't actually carry with you either the Australian accent or the Yorkshire accent, and here you are now in Middle England. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's sort of funny where, uh, where time takes you, isn't it? It certainly is. Well, <clears throat> let, let's talk about these opportunities that you had to get you into Grand Prix dressage because I understand you met a, a certain uh, dressage judge and trainer, Stephen Clark, who uh, has been an influence in your life. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, as I say, my parents moved back into, uh, <clears throat> into Cheshire um, and it happened to be um, about 10 miles away from where Stephen lives. And um, I'd been over in the country sort of for... 12 months just sort of working on a couple of different yards and um, you know it's sort of unless you've got the finances to sort of support yourself it's, it's, it's sort of trying to work out how to get a break and how to get the ball rolling and things and um, you know obviously being new in the country as well I didn't know anybody I didn't know how it worked um, you know where things happen things like that so you know we knew Stephen was just down the road and obviously at that point he was um, 
he was still competing a little bit and his international career as a judge was really starting to flourish. Um, so I thought, well, one night, well, I'll call him. So I just literally, I rang him up one night and introduced myself, told him what I'd done, asked for a little bit of advice. And, you know, he was very nice over the phone and, um, and just sort of, you know, normal advice of just you know, keep working and wait for the break and... And um, that was that, really. And then about two months after that, he, um, I got a phone call from him where he had a, a couple of stallions that had been sent for a bit of training, and uh, he wanted to know whether I'd be interested in coming over and, and helping him out. So I went over and rode the horses for him, and that was sort of the, the start of um, well, my introduction to Stephen, really. Um, and I did that for a couple of months and then the stallions went home and then I went through a period of sort of 12, 18 months where I didn't have a horse and then eventually I got a ride on a horse. Um, so I got back in touch with Stephen and started having lessons and then was lucky enough to be based on his yard for um, for a couple of years. Well, so he was my he was my first sort of major influence in, in the dressage over here. Um, you know, and he's, uh, you know, obviously he's a very knowledgeable man. Um very experienced, and you know, he's also one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He certainly is, and what an opportunity for you, Gareth, to, mm. to launch into the big time. So, tell us about the horses that you have now and how you found them, because you're you've just gone from success to success. I believe you were down in uh, Vidalban in southern France recently. Uh, yeah, we've just been down in Vidalban. Yeah, which was it was okay. I took two. Um, well, one horse that's only done one Grand Prix, so he's very new, and I took a mare that I've only been riding for twelve months, and so it was a. Uh, it was a good run to take them down there and do. Uh, we do two internationals over two weekends at the one place, so so that works well. But um, unfortunately, at present, my top horse is just um, off the road, just with a knock at the moment. A horse called Sandman, who um, did pretty well last year, and he was one of my hopes for a possible Olympic selection this year. So that's that looks like that possibly could be um, out at the moment. And then I'm very lucky to have two others working at Grand Prix. Um, uh, Mayor uh, Nadonna, who um, has been riding for about uh, 12 months, and uh, a young horse called Doozy, who is owned by one of my very good owners, um, Ann Newton, um, and we actually purchased him as a three-year-old, so I brought him all the way through. Um, and so, you know, it's exciting. They're three very good horses, and it's, um, I think, you know, in the last 12 months, I've ridden more Grand Prix tests than anything else, so that's good as well. It you know, gives you lots of experience, and... Uh, yeah, it gets you out there doing the job that you want. Absolutely. So how long will Sandman be off sideline then? Um, hopefully not long now, but it's just the wrong time of year to be off. <laughs> yes, you did. So, uh, he, he didn't get that memo, did he, about the... Uh, no, no, it was sort of, he could have done it another time, but it's just sort of, you know, with, with leading up to the Olympics, the, the window is very, is very short, you know, when they want to see them out. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that he's, you know, he'll be back, but I think it would could possibly be a bit unfair to be able to, you know, get him back and then push him hard for for that. You know, it's it's one of those things, you know, it might be you know, one of the the biggest competition in the world. It's one of those competitions that all athletes aspire to, but you know, it's, we've got to put the horse first. So Absolutely. Uh, So I don't think that will be um I don't think that will be an option this year. But you know, there's always next year and the year after and the year after, so there's lots of competitions left. Well, that's absolutely true. How old is he now? Um, he'll be 13 this year, so he's still got a good few years left in him. Yep. There's um, also the, the World Equestrian Games around the corner. Yeah, the absolutely. Time. You know, so it's, um, it's, it's, 
yeah, there's nothing we can do about it now unless unless you know he comes back a little bit quicker. So we're just we're just waiting to see. And I mean, I think you know you can plan for these 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 sort of competitions, but you know horses are horses and things happen, and you just got to play it day by day a bit, really. So how many horses do you have in your yard altogether, Gareth? Now. In here, we, what we've done is, is, I know Rebecca was explaining that we've just moved into our own place. So what we've done is, is we've sort of tried to um, scale it down a little bit. So we have, we have 15 boxes that we use. We do have other boxes on the yard that um, for uh, people coming in for training, staying overnight, lessons, things like that. So we give that, you know, we have that opportunity for people. So ourselves, we wanted to keep the barn a little bit smaller, about 15 stables. So I have. Um, sort of eight, ten horses that um, I've got from, from some youngsters right up to the, the Grand Prix guys. Um, so it's, it's a good number. We're sort of trying to keep it a little bit more qu- uh, quality than quantity. And obviously, as you said, you do some teaching as well. Which, mm-hmm. as, which aspects of the business do you most enjoy then, Gareth? Is it producing the young horses, the bringing the babies along, or the teaching, or, or, or the Grand Prix arena? I enjoy all facets of it. Um, I hate selling. I'm useless to selling horses. <laughs> oh, you're a sentimental guy, are you? Oh, God. Oh, I'd, be, I'd be happy if my horses stayed with me forever. I hate it. <laughs> I hate selling. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, sort of my weaknesses tend to be Rebecca's strengths. So together we work, we work really, really well. Um, but no, I hate doing that. I, I, I do enjoy teaching. Uh, but, you know, I mean... I learned to ride at the very beginning because I loved riding horses. So, you know, the main thing is actually I love spending time in the saddle and training horses. And I think I still ride, you know, the babies, the four-year-olds all the way up. Um, and I, I enjoy riding a, a young horse as much as the, the Grand Prix horses. I, I just enjoy riding good horses. If it's a good horse, I enjoy riding it. Absolutely. Well, I think we'll all uh, say amen to that uh, sentiment. Mm. Now, this year then obviously wasn't going according to Plan A. because The Olympic dream may not be fulfilled this year, mm. Gareth. So w- what's Plan B? What does your schedule look like for the spring and summer well, season? Well, Plan B, I mean, so I've got these other two Grand Prix horses, but Doobie is a very, very good horse. I mean, you know, the Olympics is still a you know, good few months off. Um, you know, he is... He's a horse that's very capable. It's just that I hadn't planned on aiming him for something like that because of, you know, this is his first season at Grand Prix. But, you know, you never know. So basically my plan at the moment is I'm actually taking it sort of month by month and I'll see what happens over the next two and a half months. Um, And depending on where we are, where the horses are at that point, depends on whether then I put myself forward and try and chase um, a chance of, of a team place. Unfortunately, we happen to have the strongest team in the world at the moment, which doesn't make it easy. Um, you know, it's it's you know, dressage in this country sort of boomed in the last couple of years, and we're we're so lucky to have you know, the three amazing horses that we have at, at the top. And then we we actually do have now, uh, you know, probably good enough um, horse and rider combinations to put two teams forward. Yes, it's extraordinary, um, isn't it? The depth it, and it is. strength. That makes it, it makes it, it, you know, it's a little bit harder. And so therefore, too, you know, it's sort of, it's not just, you know, riding these younger horses at Grand Prix, you know, to get on to, to even have a look in on that team selection. You know, you, you have to, they, they have to be pushed a little and, and they have to be ready to be put through that pressure. So, you know, we'll, we'll wait. We'll see how it goes in the next couple of months. And, you know, if, if Doobie steps up to the plate and sort of is excited 
viral and you know maybe it's something we can aim for if not we'll do um a few internationals this year and do a few national shows and get everything ticking along get a good experience under his belt and then there's always the europeans next year there certainly is and that's the great thing about being in europe you go from olympics to europeans worlds to europeans and back to olympics you've got something every year to aspire to absolutely There's, there's a major championship every year but also you know beyond that is that we have major competitions every year you know there are several major competitions to to, to aspire to, and, and actually some of those major competitions are as strong, if not stronger, than the major championships. So, you know, it's, um, there's, always, there's always sort of something there, but I think, you know, it's sort of, you have to have goals and aims and everything, but, you know, horses are horses, things do happen, so, you know, I, I sort of very much just sort of ride and train, and if we're, you know, going well at the right time, then we, we hit certain competitions, and, you know, you can aim for these as far in advance as you want, but you never really know until, you know, three weeks before whether you're actually going. That's absolutely true. So, uh, so I, try, I try not to look too far ahead. I have an idea, and I think that, you know, if, if the training is going right, you know, the horse will arrive at that point when they're ready, when they're ready. Um, and, you know, when they're ready, then they get aimed at the right shows. That, that's the only really way to look at it, isn't it, mm. with, with horses? Absolutely. Well, it's an exciting prospect for you with, uh, obviously, new facility there and lots of horses. And how much of, the, of your time are you spending teaching, Gareth? Because you said you well, do some basically, of that. I mean, my, my, I have a, a fairly consistent routine. Um, I, I, do, I do travel out one day, sometimes two days a week, doing clinics around the country because I enjoy sort of getting off the yard and doing that. But basically, I, I uh, ride every morning and I teach every afternoon. Well, and so I don't, I don't separate it. If I'm riding, I'm riding. So I, I ride six, seven horses every morning. So I start riding first thing. Um, and I just go from one horse to the next. They're sort of uh, walked in and then cooled off for me by the staff. And um, we just, I just sort of work them through. And then when I finish riding, I teach. So I'm in sort of in riding mode or teaching mode. And that, that seems to work pretty well. And the horses get into the routine then as well. Yes. Uh, not much time for anything else then, apart from your young daughter? Yeah, it's, um, it's a pretty busy life. I mean, it's a lifestyle choice, isn't it? It's not yes. just a job. It's a lifestyle. And I think that, um, well, it's the same with any animals. You know, you can't sort of lock them away at five o'clock and go away for the weekend and come back on a Monday morning and start again. So it's a lifestyle. And you know, Rebecca and I, we have a, we have a beautiful daughter, Ruby, who's just turned four. And she, um, you know, they very much, she very much has to sort of fit in with our, our life, but it's not a bad life for her either. It's, um, you know, outdoors and, uh, she gets to meet a lot of people and go to a lot of places and stuff. So it's, um, but it is, it's, 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 it's full time. It is full time. And it, it takes up an awful lot of time and energy and things. So we try and also get away a couple of times a year, even if it's just a long weekend and stuff, so we have a complete break. It is all about finding the balance, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Absolutely. Because sometimes you forget that actually there is other things going on in the world. <laughs> so, uh, and it's actually it's quite good to sort of do that because you, you can step away from it then and think, well, hang on, you know, this isn't the be-all and end-all. There is... Uh, I mean, obviously, the most important thing to Rebecca and I is, is, is you know, Ruby, and, you know, that she will always come first. Um, but, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, also, you know, our family sort of works within, within the lifestyle that we have. 
Yes. Well, it certainly is proving to be a very successful one, uh, Gareth. Well, I'm going to have uh, Rebecca come back on the line and we'll get the final words from her. I want to thank you for joining us. It's been great to talk to you, uh, Gareth, and uh, I'll let, I'll let uh, Rebecca sign off here for you. Okay, no, that's an absolute pleasure. It's been lovely talking to you. We've heard about Gareth's dreams and aspirations. What are your goals? Oh, gosh, probably pretty much the same thing. <laughs> probably, you know, it's always, you know, everyone's got their dreams, haven't they, of wanting to, to you know, to get on teams and be doing their, you know, doing their bit at, at Grand Prix internationally. So I'd love to get there, obviously. And, um, you know, obviously I've got a few horses in the pipeline that I'm hoping would have the talent to, to certainly have, you know, to be able to get there. So, um, so yeah. We'll have to see, won't we? <laughs> That's right. Now, I guess your time is pretty much spent between managing the business with, with Gareth, your riding, and do you do some teaching as well now? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I run a separate yard as well, which makes it a little bit complicated as so, far as... So you're um, still running that yard while you're here? Yes, okay, yes, you're still yes, yes, yes. So I basically commute between the two. Um, I mean, it is quite a long way. It's um, an hour and a half away, so I spend three hours a day in the car listening to a lot of radio and right. <laughs> drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> um, and uh, so I set off fairly early. I have a fairly early start. I usually leave at six o'clock and get to my yard, and I'm on my first horse about eight o'clock in the morning. And I usually ride um, there, the horses. I've got really good competition horses there, actually. Um, and I ride there in the morning and then come back in the afternoon and ride at home. So I sort of have my horses split between the two yards. So who would be your main competition horses right now? Um, I've got um, I've got really, um, you know, a few. One is a sort of small tour, just starting small tour this year, called Cornblum, um Titan W. And he's sort of just starting PSG into one, so I'm hoping to do a few internationals, um, small tour with him. And I've got another horse in the pipelines called Ruby Nirao. Um, and he, I'm just about to do my first Prix Saint-Georges on him um, in a couple of weeks' time. But I'm quite excited about him as he's got a huge talent for the episode. And um, it's really natural for him, the Grand Prix movements. So I think I just have to wait until he's strong enough and, um, and hope that, you know, probably a year down the line I'll, I'll have a crack at that. Well, you're certainly leading a very full life between the two of you with all those horses and back and forth between two businesses. Yes, it's pretty, it's pretty full on, you know, from, from the minute I leave in the morning to it's on the road and riding all day and then um, finishing off and then a little bit of time with Ruby, you know, in the evening, spending in the evening, so you, you tend to not stop. It's horses literally all day long <laughs> wonderful well i want to wish you the very best of luck with your career and also to gareth and thank you both so much for joining me this week thank you very much and finally before we wrap up this week i want to congratulate um, my regular co-host here on the show heather blitz for winning the freestyle with paragon at the Wellington Classic CDI Three Star down there in Wellington at the Global Dressage Festival last weekend. A terrific win for her, her first Grand Prix win. She finished ahead of Canada's Ashley Holzer with Breaking Dawn, a horse that she's hoping to take to the Olympics for Canada. And in the Grand Prix, it was Pop Art with Ashley who took that ahead of Tina 
Conyet with Collecto and Heather was third there. Congratulations to them and all of the riders down there in Wellington last weekend. You can follow the link on our show notes to the full extent of the results there. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going to be starting a brand new segment here on the show next week, and that is going to be the Century Club. It's something that the Dressage Foundation started here in the States. It is about riders who combine with their horses. Their partners have reached a wonderful hundred years between them. So I'm looking forward to welcoming my first guest, who is the newest member of that exclusive club, Marilyn Canty from California. She joins me here next week. So until then, that just about wraps it up for me. I want to thank my guests this week, Rebecca and Gareth Hughes, and to Draper Equine Therapies for their generous support of the show. Our show notes, as always, are on dressageradio.com. You can reach me here at chris at horseradionetwork.com. I'm Chris Stafford, and I will be back at the same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. 